Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Welcome, you loveliest of listeners. It's Creepy Wednesday, and today I am bringing you three new creepy pastas for your fantastic ears. Oh yes, we have a fairy ring, a dabbler in the world of the Fae that only leads to devastatingly evil outcomes, a cave with an appetite, crunch crunch, and a baseball ritual that will have you never wanting to look over your shoulders ever again. Well, maybe just a little bit for very different reasons. So turn off the lights, turn up the sound, and let's listen to something creepy. My roommate is into some weird fairy shit. And these aren't cute little human dragonflies with flower petals for clothes and sweet smiles. I don't know about you guys, but when I think of fairies, I'm picturing something like Tinkerbell. Yeah, I know, she's technically a pixie. Sue me. That is not the shit my roommate is fucking with. I noticed she was weird when I moved in. She was advertising for a roommate on Craigslist. She'd need someone who was open-minded, who was alright with strange people coming and going at all hours, who wouldn't ask questions about things that didn't involve them, and who would be okay with sharing a bathroom. Yeah, okay, not ideal, but I didn't need ideal. I needed livable, and honestly, I didn't really give a shit what she did in her spare time. Hell, she could have been cooking meth in her room as long as she didn't get me involved in her drug deals. I wouldn't have given a shit. Turns out she wasn't dealing drugs. Unless she was sharing marijuana with her deadbeat friends or something. Instead, she was into the occult. Supernatural stuff, conspiracy theories. She believes in anything and everything. She's convinced she's seen Bigfoot. She was abducted by aliens when she was 10 years old. She doesn't get vaccines because the government is using them to control people's minds. That kind of stuff. Is it terrible for me to say that I kind of like her? I mean, let's make no mistake here, she's fucked in the head, but she's actually a really good roommate. Pays her bills on time, cleans up after herself, asks me before having her weird gatherings and rituals and shit. Whenever she buys groceries, she grabs my favorite candy bar for me. And at least she's interesting. I'd rather sit and talk to her for an hour than listen to Nancy from work describe her latest MLM adventures. And before you argue with me, Stella, that's the name my roommate chose for herself, I guess, doesn't vote, so it's not like her weird-ass opinions and beliefs hurt anyone else. She told me once she thinks that if you enter a voting booth, the government will put you to sleep, embed your skin with a mind-reading chip, and release you back into society and you won't have any memory of what happened, and that it happened to her mum, and that's why her mum believed in evolution. Right. Anyway, so life with Stella wasn't terrible. We got along okay for the most part, and we managed to live together for six months before her weirdness started getting a little too close for comfort. What do I mean by that? Well, one morning I woke up to mold, growing in a ring in our living room. Seriously, it was a huge ass ring. Our living room is actually pretty sizable, 
especially since Stella doesn't believe in furniture, so it's particularly empty except for her weird candles everywhere. It never bothered me, since I don't use the common spaces much anyway. But mold growing in my apartment was definitely not okay. Stella, what the hell is this? I asked. Stella was sitting at the edge of it, a mountain of books next to her. I saw a few titles straight away. Myths of the Fae Folk, Fairies and Other Creatures, The Magical Arts. In her hands was a book on botany, which was extremely peculiar in the moment, but not so much in hindsight. It's a fairy ring. At least it will be, she said, a small frown on her petite lips as she poured over her book. I bit back the urge to scream. I don't know what a fairy ring is, but I'm pretty sure it doesn't belong in our fucking living room. If you don't get it out of here, so help me God. Stella sighed and put her book down. I thought you'd say that. She said, reaching to the black messenger backpack at her side and pulling out a slightly crumpled envelope. She always had that bag on her, and I often saw her pull out any number of weird things from it, so you can understand that I was a little hesitant to take the envelope from her. But I did, and I opened it, and immediately, my frayed nerves were soothed. Five hundred dollars in cash will do that to a person. For the inconvenience, she said, going back to her book without a second glance at me. And if we get in the trouble with the landlord, I'll pay for any damages. I knew our landlord wouldn't bother coming around and checking. He didn't give a shit what anyone did in those apartments, anyway. So I was more than happy to let it slide, as long as that shit didn't start growing in my room. I did wonder where she got all that money, though. Stella was never short on cash, even though she didn't have a job, at least not that I could tell. Oh well, never look a gift horse in the mouth. I shrugged my shoulders and let it go. That night before I went to bed, I googled fairy rings. I only read for about five minutes before I got bored and gave up on it. Do you know how much has been written about these things? Too fucking much. Anyway, I figured out two very important things. First, many cultures believe that fairy rings are caused by fairies or pixies dancing in a circle. Second, mortals absolutely should not fuck with them. Now, I wasn't worried. Not only did I not believe in fairies, but I was also pretty sure you couldn't just grow your own fairy ring. I figured that Stella would lose interest in it after a few weeks, like she always did with her random obsessions, and then she'd get rid of it and life would continue as normal. Before that had a chance to happen, however, the fairy ring grew. After a few days, it had sprouted mushrooms, I shit you not. Literal mushrooms were growing in my living room. Stella seemed overjoyed with this arrangement. I was pretty grossed out because our room was starting to smell damp and musty and just gross. I really wanted to yank up that carpet and scrub all that nasty crap away, but I focused on the $500 I was getting for being cooperative and tried to will away my annoyance. Stella's excitement grew over the next few days until it spilled over into the few conversations we had. It's almost ready. They'll be here soon. I can feel it, she said one night when we were having a beer. She was sitting in the middle of the circle while I stayed far outside it, not out of superstition, but because I wasn't going near the nasty thing. Are you sure that's how it works? 
I asked. My skepticism must have been obvious because her response was just on this side of indignant. I've done my research, Janice. It's like that movie. What was it? If you build it, they will come. Just like that. I've made the ring. They won't be able to resist dancing on it. That's just how it works. I wasn't convinced, but... Ah, hell. Why not? It's not real anyway, so who cares how she thinks it works? So what happens afterwards? She looked confused. After what? After the fairies show up. I said. What happens? Do you talk to them? Trap them? Ask them to grant you a wish? What? She stared at me in utter bewilderment for a second, and then burst out laughing. (laughs) God, Janice, you're so funny sometimes, she said. I chose not to press the point. Instead, I finished my beer and went to bed. Things played out about how I expected over the next week or so. Stella was obsessed with her fairy ring. I cycled between ignoring it and indulging her. Eventually, her interest started to wane, and she began to turn her attention to other things. I noticed a few books on the Jersey Devil appearing around the apartment, so I figured that's what would plague my life next. I felt like I was living in some sort of sitcom. And then, three weeks go by. Something different happened. I woke up around four in the morning, my sleep disturbed by a strange blue glow coming from under my door. I stumbled out of bed, rubbing the sleep from my eyes as I went in search of the light source. As soon as I entered the living room, I was almost blinded by the blue light assaulting my eyes. I swore to myself as I shielded my face, trying to let my eyes adjust. Eventually, they did, and I was able to take in the terrible sight that awaited me. Stella, naked, dancing on the fairy ring. Her body twisted and jerked, almost like she was being pulled along. She stumbled, but didn't fall, going round and round so quickly it made me dizzy. I started to walk towards her, confused and somewhat unsettled. Was she on acid or something? I almost just went back to my room and pretended I hadn't seen anything. But then, the blood caught my attention. It oozed from small cuts all over her body. A ring of blood was crusted around her wrists. Slashes across her abdomen resulted in red rivets, tracing paths down her legs. Finally, I saw her face. Her eyes were fixed on me, and a shudder worked its way down my spine. Her face was twisted in agony, her mouth a grimace, her eyes red with tears. Snot was running out of her nose. She was heaving for breath, and I was sure, so sure I saw her scream. Except there was no sound. Nothing at all. I couldn't hear the sound of cars passing by on the road outside, the sound of her feet on the carpet, the sound of her breathing. It was like I was trapped in a vacuum. But then again, I didn't really need to hear what she was screaming. I could read it on her lips like the words had been printed there. Help me, help me, help me, help me. My body responded to a silent plea and I lunged at her, hand outstretched, intent on wrenching her from the circle. But just then, she disappeared. Vanished in front of my eyes as though she'd never been there. 
I tripped and fell to my knees, just outside the ring of glowing blue mushrooms that dotted the floor. Slowly, before my eyes, the glow faded to nothing until I was alone in the dark. Just me, the silence, and the knowledge that Stella was not coming back. I called the police, of course. That's what you do, right? I'd never been in a situation quite like that before. I knew I couldn't tell them what I saw, so I just told them that when I woke up, she was gone. And that was rare for her. That I was worried something had happened. They declared her missing. I steered clear of the living room. I wanted to get out of there as fast as humanely possible, so I booked a hotel room until I managed to find another place. I didn't give a shit about breaking the lease or forfeiting the security deposit on the apartment. I just wanted out. I got a place pretty quickly. A real dump of a studio apartment, but it's affordable. And built up my courage to go back to our apartment to pack up my few things and go. When I opened the door, God, no matter how long I live, I'll never forget this. When I opened the door, she was there, lying there, in the middle of the fairy ring. The cuts had deepened into permanent grooves in her body. She was thinner than before, and as though someone had sucked the flesh out of her. Tightened her skin until it was tough and leathery. In fact, she almost looked like she'd been mummified. Her eyes were gone. Her teeth were gone. Her mouth was still gaping open, still screaming for someone, me, to help her. And as I stared at the body, I swear to God, I heard a faint giggle coming from somewhere in the apartment. I think I'm done with roommates for a while. God's Mouth I huffed and puffed under my breath. As I stared into God's mouth, I felt like the big bad wolf, ready to interrupt the three innocent little pigs as they hurriedly fortified their makeshift homes. I grinned at this thought and then turned my head to look for Margaret. She was a couple of feet down the hill, from the entrance of the cave, holding a walking stick close to her petite breasts. Hurry up! I called down to her. I turned back to the cave, still grinning. An old, rotted sign outside read, God's Mouth Cave. Keep out. What a tired cliché. Margaret finally made it to the entrance and stood beside me, almost doubled over and out of breath. I looked down and smiled. Check it out! <laughs> I laughed. God's Mouth! wonder where Jesus' anus is. <laughs> I chuckled to myself. Margaret was less amused. Give me the damn water bottle, she said, exasperated. The open bottle met her lips, and for a moment I felt peaceful, in a way, watching her drink the water. Actually, I take that back. The peaceful comment, I mean. It was more of a feeling that was sort of hard to put my finger on or give a name, but I could settle for a nice content. Content seemed to be one of those words that manifest itself when natural human words seem to fail. Again, an utter cliché, but it felt good to feel a strange, mixed-up sort of happy for once. I sighed and turned my flashlight on. 
I pointed it into the cave. Black. God's mouth. This seemed like the antithesis of a holy spirit. I turned again to Margaret. You ready? I asked. She was finally standing straight up. She nodded. I clapped a friendly hand to her back and we walked into God's mouth. The inside was not unlike the preview I had glimpsed outside with my flashlight. Dark, dismal, and endlessly black. It seemed to stretch endlessly, no matter how I positioned my flashlight. The rocky terrain was damp and imposing. The last natural light slowly disappeared behind Margaret and I as we made our way deeper and deeper. I found it strange how soft and compelling the world around me now appeared, despite the stalactites, stalagmites, and other various rocky formations being so jagged. It seemed that even amongst the pointed teeth of God, I could lay down and rest there forever. It was comfortable. Apparently, Margaret didn't agree. She shivered uncomfortably under my arm. I raised my eyebrows. Need your coat? I asked. I tried to look at her and make non-verbal communication as explicit as possible until I realized that we were lost in the inky blackness of the mouth. I bit my lip and waited, but she didn't respond. For a couple of minutes, we walked in silence. She stopped and stood motionless. I stopped too. Why the hell are we even in here? She said. She sounded irritated. I shrugged, more to appease myself than her, and shoved my flashlight under my face. Bladed shadows obscured half my face, the other half illuminated in a wretched mask. Spooky! <laughs> I cried, chuckling. She didn't move. I sighed. I thought you wanted to go. I said. I noticed how my voice echoed against the cave walls at any volume. I mean... I began again, scratching at my chin. You did say you wanted to go see some nature for our vacation. And you did sound impressed when I told you about my visit to Mammoth Caves a couple of years back. So... My voice trailed off. I could still sense her irritation. No, she said. I frowned. No, you wanted to go here. I wanted to go to the beach or something, but no. A cave? A cave, Nathan? She sounded more like the big bad wolf now. I know that you have this weird fetish for spelunking or something, but I don't really want to be dragged into it. Don't get me wrong, I do love to go on a trip and get into nature and fresh air, but this? I could hear her arms flail and gesture about in the thick air. This is cave air, not fresh air. This air is practically fermenting. Plus, isn't this illegal? Can we please just leave? We both stood there. The only sound that could be heard was the electricity in the air being stifled and smothered by the damp atmosphere. Finally, I began to walk. I didn't hear Margaret follow me, but I kept moving forward. Then, Nathan, she said. Stop! Please stop! So I stopped. I'm sorry, she said. I could hear her moving close to me. I'm tired, and I'm not used to running and climbing around and the like. I'm just tired. It's okay, I said. She gripped my arm. Really, it's fine. I shook my head. Which way is out? I don't remember. 
I could feel Margaret physically pause. Neither of us could remember. Somehow, in the confusion of our argument, I'd forgotten which way we'd been moving. Idiot, I thought to myself. I should have brought a goddamn rope or something to trail from the entrance of the cave. I had to take action. So without much thought, I turned 180 degrees and said, This way. We walked for what seemed to be hours. My feet were tired and sore, and I could hear Margaret's groans from behind me. She held my hand tightly. I felt terrible. This was my fault. Then I froze. Hey, hey, I said. Put your hand out. Feel this rock. I could hear Margaret's bare palm press against the stone. Isn't this, like, abnormally warm? I said. She didn't say anything. I began to work my way along the wall, feeling it as I went, shining the flashlight in front of me. Suddenly, I felt a sharp pain on my head as the ceiling of God's mouth met with my scalp. Ow! Shit! I shouted. Oh, Nathan, are you okay? Margaret asked. She seemed on the verge of panic now. I'm fine, I said. Please calm down. We'll get out of here soon, I promise. I started again, pointing my flashlight upward now to see the ceiling above me. It seemed to be getting narrower. That was strange. Listen, uh, Margaret, babe. I said through clenched teeth. I think we gotta turn around. Margaret sighed next to me. Again, we walked for a decent length. I kept my flashlight pointed upwards this time. Sure enough, the space in the cave seemed to become smaller and smaller. If there was any resonating light left in God's mouth aside from my flashlight, I'm sure Margaret would have been able to see the whites of my eyes, spreading in panic. We were completely lost. I let go of Margaret's hand and began to feverishly feel my way along the walls. No, Nathan! I heard her shout. I kept going. We had to get out. If we were lost, nobody would be able to find us. I kept feeling along the wall until I abruptly hit a corner. Fuck! I said aloud. Margaret, this seems to be a dead end. I spun around on my heel. Margaret? No answer. Shit. I began to repeat my process again, almost running as I felt the wall run past my fingertips. Cool, damp rocks and jagged spears. Suddenly, I found myself at a corner again. Fuck, fuck, fuck! I shouted. Margaret! I was belting her name out now. In the corner of the cave's moor, where I'd been thwarted so many times already, I heard a noise. It sounded like muffled static from a television. I pressed my ear against the rock. It seemed to be getting even warmer now. I heard the faint sounds of Margaret on the other side of the rock. She was screaming. No, no, no. I said, no, 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 no. I began running haphazardly into the walls around me. With dawning realization came a wave of sheer horror. There was no entrance. There was no exit. Only these four corners and me. I could feel blood begin to trickle from the cut I managed to get by bashing my body into the cave's walls. They were closing in on me. They were coming in for the kill, and soon they would be pressing in on my skull and crushing my ribcage. I sat there for hours, waiting for death. My flashlight was becoming dim and blinking. Finally, I felt the soft touch of these rocky walls press against my back. 
I began to cry. As I lay down on the ground, I let my flashlight roll on the small hills of stone. As I quietly stayed prone, tears dripping down my face, I turned and looked at the flashlight. Its last fading beams of light pointed at something not far away from my face. I squinted in the darkness. My eyes widened and I felt tears fall even harder from my face. The rocks were piercing my skin now and blood dripped from all sides. There, in the last light of my flashlight, was the appetizer. The spotlight shone on a hand whose nails were painted red. And I screamed in agony as I watched God's mouth chew its latest meal. The Baseball Boy If you can, try and find Queen Elizabeth Elementary School, a place notable for its spacious schoolyard and aged brick building. Go to this school's playground on a Sunday evening, any time between 6.25pm and 6.45pm, and optionally, you can only bring one object with you. It can be a bike, your means of getting there perhaps, or a camera, but nothing that could distract you from your surroundings. You will fail to get far if you are not focused on the schoolyard. Go to the swing set and pick the last swing on the right, and swing. Optionally, you could simply sit on it, but the process could take much, much longer. If everything is going correctly, you should see a child's form walking the perimeter of the grounds, waving a black bat. Do not stare for too long, or he will notice and run out of the yard. At that point, you have an unknown amount of time to get as far away as you can from the school before he comes back. Continue swinging long enough and you'll hear him call out to you, heading towards you slowly from behind. Only look back at him once or twice at first, but as he gets closer, he will ask your name. Under no circumstances should you ever reveal your name to him, as he'll ask you more and more questions that you'll be forced to answer. He'll remember everything you tell him, and while he is not able to hurt you with this, he likes to tell his friends everything about the people he meets. Instead, just tell him politely that your name isn't important. He'll at first ask you from afar if you ever played baseball. Then the boy will stop beside the swing set. You'll notice he's approximately seven with a blonde buzz cut an oversized camouflage print hoodie, and he's chewing on some sort of stick. You will not have enough time to identify what it is, but it had been described as a coffee stir stick or even a long nail. This is when he'll ask you if you want to play baseball. This is the last chance you'll have to leave. If you must, tell him that you aren't good at baseball, or maybe that you need to go home for dinner. The boy will try to persuade you to stay, and maybe even offer to teach you to play but turn him down politely, and promise him that other children usually come to the ground around that time. Leave and head straight to your destination. If you do choose to play baseball with him, he will not seem excited at first, but lead you straight to the baseball diamond on the other end of the yard. He may not say much, but mention that he's been looking for people to play with him for a while. His game of baseball, as it turns out, involves you throwing a ball to him, and he'll hit it with his bat and then run around the diamond. You'll repeat this over and over again, and it isn't known how long it could take until the boy will be contented. It could be anywhere from 10 minutes to 3 hours. If at any time you try to leave the game prematurely, he will try and persuade you to stay. You'll notice a different look in his eyes. 
and looking directly into them will give you a burning feeling in your skull. Giving him an excuse or even staying will have no effect. And at this point, the best thing you could do for yourself is to run onto the adjacent street and throw yourself in front of a car, lest you experience what the boy will do to you. But play baseball with the boy all the way to the end, and he'll come up to you overjoyed. He'll thank you for your time and give you the baseball. From there, he'll take his bat and go home, and you're free to leave, too. But exit in the opposite direction and do not turn around at all until you have left the grounds. When you reach a safe place indoors, you will now be able to study the ball. There's nothing about it that appears odd. It's simply a battered old baseball. You can either display it or even play with it, but try stripping a small piece off the ball and carrying it around in your pocket. You may experience headaches at first, but you'll notice a change in yourself afterwards. You'll be able to predict any accidents around you, know who's sticking up behind you, and expect nearly anything out of the ordinary. Carry the piece around with you enough, and the power of it will absorb into you to the point where you won't need it anymore. Your friends will declare you a psychic, but sometimes the weight of the power will give your body aches. Most likely you'll never meet that little boy again, but if you're one of the unlucky ones, and you see him in any form, you must turn right around and run as fast and as far as you can, because he wants his baseball back. Well, well, that fairy ring was positively terrifying. Can't say I've ever heard of that one either. Gonna have to look that up in the old uh, fey research books and novels. And I'm not sure what I would do walking into a room with a naked lady soundlessly screaming to only reappear later as a corpse. Well, that is some X-Files shit right there, folks. Where's Mulder when you need him to enter the scene, touch everything or taste everything on sight? Oh, that was one really creepalicious face story. The second tale where a cave eats its victims slowly, and I mean really slowly. Oh, that is one hell of a way to go, folks. Crunchy goodness. Our bodies would sound like rice puffs within those walls, bones popping and clicking away, as the hardened cavern walls mosh our bodies to paste. Yuck. And the ritual at the end with sentient and omnipotent baseballs. That is one awesome talisman to have, one that gives you powers, but also is a solid, well-made ball to play with friends in the schoolyard. Just not that schoolyard. Folks, I hope you enjoyed these three tales as much as I enjoyed narrating them for you. If you like what I do, subscribe, and if you really enjoy what I do, support the show with a couple of dollars, where every Patreon helps me get closer to the stars. Which means better audio, better stories, better everything else. You'll find me by using Google and searching Stories Fables Patreon. Now, I want to thank the legends that do just that. First up is my Ode Nighty Titan, Queen of the Cats, the feline that helps me make a beeline to all things audio, Maya. Mate, thank you so much for your kick-butt tier of support, truly a god, hurtling this podcast to new levels of awesomeness. I'm building up a new repertoire of sounds, music, and general audio that I'm utilizing my Patreon support for, and thanks to you, I don't even have to stress on whether or not I can achieve that. Thank you so much, Maya. You're a shining star, and one that burns oh so bright. You're awesome. My white tea warlord, Lezatastic, oh so fantastic. Mate, I got your email and I'll read you loud and clear. Just want to say thank you so, so much for supporting me in the way you do, and that having your support brightens the podcast and my week. 
And there isn't an episode that goes up that doesn't have your influence thanks to your support. Thank you immensely, Leza. And never forget how awesome you are. And my next white tea warlord, because I'm lucky enough to have two, Pages the Pegasus of Knowledge, flying high into the sky and bringing down facts to humble storytellers like myself. Thank you so much, Paige, for being brilliant, aka yourself, and always helping me smile or gasp in awe at the wonderful world we live in. Thanks to you, Paige, I'm planning to dive deeper into the plugin space and work harder on adding clarity to my audio. You might have heard this episode being a little bit sharper. Well, that's thanks to your support and all Patreon supporters. New plugins equals better quality and a better quality show. Thanks, Paige. And my Earl-tastic Earl Grey enforcers. I am lucky to have Chad Warren, Just Heather, Juicebox Andy, Peter Raffelli, Dolphin and Cow, Michelangelo Yacone, Tea Time Drinker 1, and Divided by Zero. Thank you all, you legends. And stick with me Friday for, yes, more creepy tales. And as always, till next we meet.